Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah says, Let me sing a song for my loved one, a song about my loved one's vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile ridge. He dug it up and gathered the stones out of it. He planted it with the best vines. He built a tower in the middle of it. He also cut a wine press into it. He expected it to produce clusters of sweet grapes, but it produced only sour grapes. So now, you residents of Jerusalem and you men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not already done for it? When I expected it to produce clusters of sweet grapes, why did it produce sour grapes? Yes, the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the planting that was pleasing to him. He expected justice, but instead there was oppression. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. The vineyard was so beautiful that he just had to sing a song about it. It was in a perfect location. The land was just right. Faced just the right direction to get the, the most optimum sunlight. Everything was just right. The fact that hour after hour had been spent preparing for that vineyard was obvious. All around the vineyard, the soil was full of rocks. But not a rock was found inside the vineyard. Painstakingly, every rock had been located and every rock had been removed. And when it came time to plant, only the, the best, healthiest vines were planted. A watchtower was built in the middle of the vineyard so watchmen could be on guard day in and day out watching for any kind of danger to warn of coming danger. It was a beautiful vineyard. Even a wine press was cut out in the vineyard, right there, so that the, the grapes could be processed immediately, not losing any freshness or flavor. No expense was spared. No amount of hard work was spared. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was song-worthy. Isaiah tells us what the vineyard represents. It's God's vineyard. It's the people of Israel. It's the men of Judah. It's God's Old Testament church. It's the land flowing with milk and honey, a land that God promised and prepared for his people and then brought his people to, the land where he had driven out all the stones of idolaters before them. He provided them with everything they needed. Houses that they didn't build, that they got to live in. Crops that they didn't plant, that they got to harvest. A tower was built there. God's temple. A place where he showed his presence with his people day in and day out. A place where his name was proclaimed day in and day out. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. He provided watchmen, prophets, that he sent to preach his word and to warn the people of sometimes 
physical danger, but most importantly, spiritual danger. Paul recites some of the great blessings God had showered on his vineyard. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. God planted Israel in a perfect place to display his splendor. Great power, world power of Egypt was to the south and the west. And the great powers of Assyria and Babylon were to the north and to the east. And any trade that had to happen between those two great world powers had to pass through Israel. Israel didn't have to go to the world to proclaim the splendor of the one and only true God. The world came to them. They were indeed a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That was Israel. What about us? How do we compare? God has planted us in a wonderful location as well. He's planted us in a country that enjoys the the wealth and the blessings that are really uncomparable to any other country that has ever existed. He's blessed us with peace and safety. He's blessed us with freedom, freedom of movement, freedom of speech, freedom of worship. Few other countries in the world, in the history of the world, has have experienced those freedoms. But more important than all of those, he has planted his word in our hearts. He has brought us to know the one and only true God, and he has shown us how much he loved us, proven his love to us by sending his own son and sacrificing him in our place to pay for our sins. He has made us heirs with Jesus of eternal life, called us to be his dear children, his planting his people. He's given us beautiful church buildings. But more important than that, he's given us pastors and teachers and elders, people through whom he continues to give us his word, people who continue to encourage us with that word to grow in our faith and to remind us of the gospel, people who are there to warn us when we're in spiritual danger. We our planting of the Lord. He has showered us with blessing after blessing that we can use to display his splendor in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our towns and cities, and to all the world. Very much like Israel, though, more and more the world is coming to us, coming to our schools, coming to our neighborhoods. We don't want to ever stop taking God's word to the nations, but if we open our eyes, we will see that there's a rich harvest available right here, right next to us, right in our neighborhoods. Like Israel, we, God's New Testament church, are richly blessed. We are our planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Whether we're God's Old Testament planting or his New Testament planting, God is looking for and expecting those he has blessed to produce good fruit. 
considering all the work that the Lord had done in providing everything needed to produce fruit and display his splendor to the people of Israel, how'd they fare? What kind of fruit did they produce? Isaiah says, instead of clusters of sweet grapes, they produced sour, stinking, worthless grapes. What does that mean? Isaiah answers that question for us. He tells us. He expected justice, but instead there was oppression. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. He expected that people who knew his word, who believed that they were blessed and loved by God, would point out what God calls sin, what God calls evil, and would do all they could to avoid evil in their lives as well. They would heed his constant encouragement throughout the Bible to care for those who can't care for themselves, to help the alien, the widow, and the fatherless. That would be good fruit. But instead, he saw those who claimed to have God's word, to claim to be blessed and loved by God, taking advantage of those who were helpless for their own benefit. He expected people who knew his word, who were blessed and loved by God, to show that love for others, to treat people right, to treat people the way that God treats them, to love them as God loves themselves. From a heart that was filled to overflowing with the blessings and love of God, to let that love show in their lives to others. Instead, he saw those who claimed to know God's word, to claim to be loved by God and blessed by him, taking advantage of others, so that an outcry against their injustice was rising to God. The primary example for the people in his day, Jesus built on this parable from Isaiah with his own parable of a vineyard. He reminded the Jewish leaders, chief priests and the Pharisees, that when God came to receive the good fruit that he expected from his vineyard, well, he was ignored and those he sent were abused. And he showed that he knew what was on their hearts and minds. He was the son, the son of the owner. And they were plotting to throw him out of the vineyard and kill him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He received injustice and betrayal and ultimately execution. You are a planting of the Lord. What more could be done for you than God has already done for you? He showered you with abundant physical blessings. He's kept every single promise that he's made to you, and most importantly, he sent his son to live and die for you and to pay the debt that you owed him. What kind of fruit are you producing? Is your life displaying his splendor? or using those abundant blessings that he's given you to create splendor and glory for yourself? Are you doing all you can to point out what God calls evil? Or are you joining in with those who are doing evil? Are you showing the kind of love for others that God has shown to you 
or are you willing to mistreat or misuse those others to enrich yourself for your own benefit? In response to all God has done for you, are you producing good fruit or are you producing sour grapes? When Jesus finished his parable of the vineyard, we're told that the chief priests and the leaders of the Jewish people, they recognized that he was talking about them. He was saying they're the ones who refused to give the fruits that God expected. And they're the ones who were plotting in their minds to throw out the son, throw him out of the vineyard and kill him. But unlike David who recognized himself in Nathan's parable and repented. Unfortunately, they did not. What about you? If we are honest with ourselves, we can ask the question, what more could God do for us than he's already done? He has richly blessed us. He's given us the greatest blessing he could possibly give, the gift of his son who paid the full debt for all of our sins. He's planted us a vine in his vine- as a vine in his vineyard through our baptism. He continues to shower us with the gifts of his word and his sacrament. And how often don't we produce sour grapes, the grapes of injustice? How often don't we move people to cry out to God because of the evil way we have treated them? Hopefully, we too see that these parables of the vineyard are talking about us. And like David, we respond by saying, I've sinned against the Lord. I have not really displayed God's splendor the way I should have. I've not lived in righteousness and justice the way I should have. Not done a good job of displaying his splendor. But what a blessing that Jesus responds and reminds us that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The son who was thrown out of the vineyard and killed didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would, just as the scriptures foretold. He became the cornerstone. He became the foundation of the church. The foundation for, the reason for, God's forgiveness. He was righteous and just in our place. He took on himself the just punishment that you and I deserve for unrighteousness, for the sour grapes that we have produced in our lives, for not always producing that good fruit that he rightly expects. He took on himself the punishment we all deserve for the times that we have used his blessings to gain glory for ourselves instead of displaying his glory to others. He took on himself the punishment that we deserve when we have not let the love that he has showered on us flow through us and shown it to others. He took on himself the punishment we deserve for all the times when we have not carried out justice and righteousness in our lives. He is the one who, as he began to suffer for our sins, prayed to the Father and said, forgive them. Considering all that God has done for us, he has every right 
to expect us to produce good fruit. And even when we don't, even when we produce sour grapes of injustice and unrighteousness, he's gracious. He points out our sin. He calls us to repentance. Then he points us to Jesus for our forgiveness. What more could God do for us than he's already done? Stay close to his word and sacrament so that you are constantly reminded of his great love and his goodness to you, his forgiveness in Jesus, and so that you may be enabled to produce the good fruit that he expects, the good fruit of justice and righteousness, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Please stand.